Well, how are y'all doing this morning? Awesome. That, that is great. Um, so like, uh, like they said, my name is John Ross, if you don't know me. Um, <clears throat> and I am so glad to be here with y'all uh, this morning. For y'all who don't know, um, I do claim New Life as my home church. I don't know if y'all actually claim me. Um, but I actually went here from ages 9 or 10 to 19. Um, I was here when this church got built. Uh, we were meeting at a warehouse before this. Uh, and so many people in this room um, poured into me and helped me grow as, as a believer. Uh, I also grew uh, a little bit physically, not as much. You know, I won't hold y'all or hold that against y'all though. Um, but it, all, it is always so good to come back to New Life and uh, see old faces and very excited to open up the word with y'all this morning. Um, so this morning, we're going to be talking about relationships. Uh, and I'm sure most of y'all, when I say relationships, the, the first one that pops in your mind is, is maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband and wife, and, and we, you know, that definitely falls into the category. But I want us to think about relationships a little bit broader. Um, I see some people like elbowing their kids, like, oh, you don't have one of those, do you? Um, don't worry, you're not getting left out. Uh, we're going to talk about relationships broadly this morning. So when I talk about relationships, I'm talking about your relationships with your friends, with your mom, with your dad, obviously with a husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, uh, hopefully you only have one of those, um, and your, your co-workers, your bosses, and, and relationships in a broad sense. Um, and obviously the Bible speaks a lot about relationships. The Bible does not uh, speak little on this topic. Um, we're called to honor our father and our mother. Uh, parents are called not to drive their children to anger. Husbands, we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Um, we're called to treat our neighbor or love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And the Bible speaks a lot towards relationships. Um, but like some of you may know, relationships are tough. Relationships take a lot of work. They, they take something out of you. Um, it is not easy to be a good friend or a good husband or a good wife or good mom, dad, child, whatever. Um, personal experience, uh, me and my wife, we try to have friends over. We, we obviously like to hang out with friends and, and do stuff and we'll have friends over and it's an ongoing joke within my friend group. At about a certain time, somewhere between 11 and 11.30, if they're still there, I'm going to fall asleep. Like, that is undeniable. Uh, it doesn't matter if we're playing a board game. It doesn't matter if we're having a conversation, watching a movie. I'm just going to fall asleep. I, and like a lot of times it's not even purposeful. I fall asleep, you know, my hands like this on the table. Sometimes, you know, I, I just cave. I grab a pillow, blanket, lay on the floor and, and just give up for the night. Um, but relationships are tough. They take something out of us. But they are good and they, we, we are called to live in relationships. And so I want to talk about what we are called to do within relationships with a little bit more specificity specificity. Ooh, that was a big word and my mouth is getting dry, so those are going to be tough. Um, but this morning we're going to be in Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 27 through 35. If you don't know anything about the Proverbs, uh, the Proverbs are kind of unique uh, in terms of books of the Bible. It's not a narrative. It, it's not a gospel. It, it's not a, a little parable or a book of prophecy. But uh, the Proverbs is, or the Proverbs are uh, short sayings given by the by King Solomon to his son. It's addressed to his son, obviously distributed after that, but uh, that, that's kind of the background of the Proverbs. And, and when I read the Proverbs, uh, I, I often think of, um, of my grandpa, right? So my grandpa loved 
fishing. He was a big fisherman. Um, and that's not because he liked catching fish. It's not because he liked eating fish. It's, it's not because of anything really do with fishing. My grandpa liked to fish because he liked to talk. Um, and you know, when you're fishing, you're, you're stuck on a dock or a, on a bank or on a boat. And my grandfather, God bless him, uh, he would be like, well, you know, son, you don't count your chickens on a Tuesday when it's going to rain on Wednesday. And it's like, okay, pop, great. I really appreciate the advice. I'm not sure what you're telling me here, but this is a good piece of wisdom. And that's a lot of what the Proverbs are. It's just a dad with his son, giving him these little excerpts of wisdom as an as a older man, as an older man of God saying, hey, this is a good way to live your life. I have life experience. I've been around the block. Take some advice from me. So like I said, we're going to be in Proverbs 3, 27 through 35. I'm going to start just reading 27, 28, and we'll get to the later verses here in just a minute. Verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is, in, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Now, if you're like me, when you first read this passage, the, the thing that first pops out to you is do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Um, my first inclination when I read this was like, okay, well, who actually deserves me to do good to them, right? Like, uh, I think it's human nature to take this verse and maybe sift some people out of it. Maybe it's a pushy boss who like just knows how to push your buttons or, or maybe it's a spouse. You don't feel like, uh, you know, you did the laundry last night and they didn't say thanks 20 times. They only said about 18 and it's like, Ah, uh, no, I'm, I'm withholding good from that person. Or, or maybe it's, it's a parent who you're just annoyed with. And, and we like to use this, or we would naturally use this verse to maybe sift some people out so we could restrict good. But what Solomon is actually teaching here, what he's actually uh, exhorting his son to do is, is quite the opposite. Um, it's hard to see in the English, but this language uh, in, in Hebrew, it, it's better read, do not withhold good from those as if it was due unto them. See, Solomon is actually telling his son, you should live and you should seek to do good to people as if you actually owed it to them, as if you were indebted to them. Um, if you don't know anything about King Solomon, uh, he was a king, um, if you don't get that from the title. Uh, and so that means his son would be a prince and royalty and uh, could be a king or a prince later down the line, obviously an affluent person. If you don't know anything about royalty, uh, they don't really owe anything to anybody. They're not really an indebted people. It's, it's quite the opposite, right? Like people give kings and queens stuff. It's not kings, oh, oh I really owe this, this peasant all my stuff. Like that's, that's not normally how it works. But Solomon's switching it up. He's saying, hey, just because you're royalty, just because you're king, just because you have affluence does not raise you above being a debtor, being a servant to those around you. He, conti he continues, when it is in your power, to do it. Um, <clears throat> obviously, him, that was a really loud cough. I'm so sorry. I saw some of y'all jump up. Like, I'm so sorry. Um, obviously, as, as a prince, as, as a future king, he would have a lot of opportunity to do good. He would have a lot of stuff to give. He would have an access, right? And, and I think it's easy for us to look at this and be like, oh, well, man, that's not me. Um, I don't know about y'all, I don't have as much money as a king does. I, I'm a little bit more restricted with the funds. The budget doesn't have a, a, king, a king slot in it. And I think it's easy for us to, to kind of weed ourselves out of this. But I, I love what, what one commentator said about this passage. Um, 
This passage, the way Solomon wrote it, it, it extends all the way up from the super affluent. If, if you have the ability to, to buy someone a house, buy someone a car, host them, do all these things, all the way down to the homeless man who all he has to share is a warm spot under a bridge and a half a can of beans. King Solomon is calling his son to a, a life of servanthood no matter what he has. If, if he has the capability, if he has something that he can give up, he is calling his son to do it. And he continues on it, and Solomon actually gives his own little illustration here. He says, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it to you when you have it with you. Uh, people don't really do this anymore, but it'd be like your neighbor coming to you and, hey, can I get a cup of flour? Um, if your neighbors still do that, God bless you. Y'all, y'all live in a really good neighborhood. Um, but, but that'd be kind of the same idea, right? And he's saying, no, you should give it to him. Actually, Solomon says this in the same way. If your neighbor comes to you and asks for a cup of sugar, you should give it to him as if the day before he actually cooked you a five-course meal and washed your car and, and cut your grass and, and took your kids to daycare and picked them back up and, and did all these things for you. And, and obviously, if, if someone like that, if someone who has given so much to you comes and asks for a little thing, you should abundantly give it to, you, to them. You shouldn't hold back. And that's what Solomon is, is calling his son to, uh, to be like. Um, when I was in college, I, I took a job as a security guard, uh, which is a terrible job for me because I'm kind of a petite guy, and when I get nervous, my voice sounds like Mickey Mouse. And so, you know, me yelling at guys to, like, put down the glass bottle in the pool, like, it, it's not very intimidating. But anyway, uh, one night I, I had to go, and um, I was working a night shift. It was probably 6 p.m. to 4 a.m., and I was at a, a Caterpillar dealership. They were having a big um, event the next day, and they had computers and tents out, and they didn't want all of it stolen, which makes sense. So I go, and, you know, I sit in my truck, and uh, security guard work is not as glamorous as it sounds. Um, I never got in a high-speed chase or anything like that. A lot of what it is is, like, me sitting in my truck and, like, reading. And then, you know, when the sun goes down, I pull out my phone and, and watch YouTube. And my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, she, lives, she was in Alaska at the time, so time difference. So, you know, I want to talk to her. Oh, look, phone's dead. Let me plug it up a little bit and go walk around, make sure no one's stealing stuff, and come back and play on my phone a little bit more, plug it back up. And, and throughout the night, I'm, I'm constantly plugging my phone up, but in my mind, I'm not leaving it plugged up enough to kill the battery. Uh, 4 a.m. comes and, you know, my relief shows up in a little Civic and he's like, all right, you head on out now, buddy. I'm like, great, I'm tired. I want to go to go to bed. And I go to crank up my truck and I'm, I'm talking about it doesn't even tick. Like, it just, it, it's not even making noise. I'm like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> I've, I've been up for about 24 hours at this point. I'm like, all right, this ain't good. And this little man Civic can't jump off my big F-150. Like he's trying, he's trying to rev it up. It's just not working. I'm like, appreciate it, bro. Just leave me alone. And so I'm calling like everybody I know. My parents are out of town. A lot of my friends are out of town because it's summer. And man, nobody is picking up the phone. And it, it's 4.30 in the morning at this point. And the last person I had to call was actually my boss's boss at North Greenville. I, I worked for an organization on campus, and my boss's boss and I were kind of close. We went to church together, and, and I was like, oh, oh, please, I really don't want to call this guy. But, you know, stuck at a Caterpillar dealership, got to do something. And so I call this guy up, and I'm like, 
uh, hey, and he only rings twice and he's like, hey man, what's going on? How you doing this morning? Just like he's been up for a couple hours. I was like, oh, Jared, ha- have you been up? He's like, nope, I heard the phone buzzing, but you know, I need to get up in about an hour or hour and a half or so. Anyway, what can I do for you? I was like, oh, the shame. Oh, <laughs> I was like, hey man, um, I'm actually on the backside of Greenville. Uh, truck is... Uh, has a dead battery. Can can you come try to jump me off or at least take me by a new battery? He's like, I'm there in 40. Man, this guy, he was there I, in 39. I mean, flew to me. It was great. And he shows up and he's beep-bopping out. He's got a little cup of coffee. He's like, oh, so what we got going on here? Just a happy-go-lucky five o'clock in the morning. I was like, oh, I don't know, man. And so hook up, uh, hook up the uh, cables and truck jumps off, praise be to God, uh, and he's like, man, I am so glad you called me and had me come out here to help you. And I looked at him, I'm like, dude, you're crazy. Like, you don't understand what just happened. <laughs> like, I was in need of help. I was helpless. I had nothing to do. You came and helped me. Please stop thanking me. You're embarrassing me. But it's that same mentality that Solomon is calling his son to. He's calling his son to live in this mentality of, Nothing's out of bounds. Nothing's too much for me. I am a servant as if I was indebted. Oh, what a beautiful way to live. So the first thing we see Solomon call his son to is is to seek to do good, right? Seek to do good to people. Second thing we see, or moving down, uh, verse 29, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Um, I, I really want to point this out. I'm, I'm not going to stay on this point too long, but we just see Solomon calling his son to be intentional about doing good, not withholding good from people. The very next command is make sure you're not doing evil to people. Make sure you're not planning to harm somebody. I just think this is very telling of the human nature. I think this is very telling of where we naturally lie, what we would naturally give to people. I think it's very telling without the gospel, without, without heart change, we would very easily withhold good from people and give harm, give violence, give evil. But not stay on that too long. <clears throat> we are going to circle back around there, so just hold on. Um, but anyway, continuing on, uh, we see... So sorry, lost my place. There we go. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Some of your translations may say violence or harm. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I don't feel like I plan a lot of violence against my neighbors. Like I never sit outside my neighbor's apartment with like a pair of boxing gloves like, man, when this joker comes out, I'm going to sock him right in the face. Like I don't do that. Like I'm a pretty peaceable guy. Like, like I already said, small stature. I'm not a fighter. Like I, I'm not a big violent guy. And so I think a lot of us would be like, ah, oh, this really isn't me. But I think what Solomon is actually implying here is much broader than that. I think Solomon in, in this proverb is implying so much more. I, I think this proverb totally encompasses any form of verbal violence or, or mental abuse we inflict on others. I think this proverb would speak against us throwing down a, a coworker at work. If we did something poorly and boss comes and says, hey, who did this? And throwing them under the bus. I think this proverb of, of not planning a evil against your neighbor would speak against gossiping about your friend who you're in an argument with, even if you pretty it up with, well, you know, I just want to know if I'm in the wrong. Maybe I'm in the wrong. I should go tell Betty, make sure I'm not on the right. That, come on, that, that's just pretty gossip. This, this speaks against that. 
This speaks against throwing people under the bus for your own personal gain. <clears throat> Sorry, let me grab a sip of water real fast. This passage would encourage us not to put someone down so that we feel better about ourselves. Um, <clears throat> this evil does not look like pulling out swords and spears as if, you know, we're in some great battle. Um, now, if you do that against your neighbor, neighbor, if you pull a sword or a spear against your neighbor, you, you shouldn't do that. This definitely implies to you. But, but it's calling us to withhold from so much more than that. And Solomon continues, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Um, to contend is to argue or, or quarrel for no apparent reason. It's to seek verbal violence or argument against people. And, and what an appropriate thing to talk about in today's age. In a realm where people are very happy to hide behind a computer and seek social, social justice or, or political rights or whatever, we enjoy arguing for no good reason against people who've done us no wrong. We think we're doing it for uh, the right message or, or to set people straight, but in actuality, it's done with a heart of self-righteousness, arrogance, done with a theological, political, judicial, demographic chip on our shoulder, often to those who really did us no harm, but more or less just got on our nerves. <clears throat> our words carry weight. Our actions, how we treat pay people, carry great weight to them. Um, I don't know how many of y'all enjoy this. I really love backpacking. I, I, I love hiking. I love backpacking. Um, and, and a trick to backpacking is knowing how to pack your bag. Um, and, and I have a very unique way in doing this where I put like heavy stuff here and I have my bag slotted and it's, it's very particular, right? Um, and the worst thing that that people do to me that gets on my biggest nerves, so if we ever go backpacking, you know now, is when they ask, hey, can I put this in your bag? Because it's never like a pair of socks, right? It's like two gallon jugs of water that are half full that are sloshing. Or it's like a camp stove they want to just sit on the top or on the side and like throw off my weight distribution. Or, or like a boulder, like, hey, can I put this boulder in your bag? And it's like, oh, bro, you're weighing me down. You're making this more difficult for me. You're, you're actually hurting me. But that's what we do. That, that's what we do when we, when we throw people under the bus, when we seek to cause people harm with our words or with actions or with anything, or when we, when we quarrel and when we argue for no apparent reason. Now, this isn't a call for us to lay over and not stand up for the gospel or stand up for what we believe in, but Solomon is arguing, man, don't be quarrelsome. Don't go out and seek a fight. Don't be mean. Don't be little people. Solomon great, gives great power to the, or gives great responsibility to how we use our words and actions. Proverbs 18, 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. So the second point we see here is Solomon urging his son to seek to not do harm. So first, Solomon urges, seek to do good. Secondly, seek to not do harm. And moving down to the third section here, verses 30 through 35 do not, or 31 through 35, excuse me, do not envy a violence, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. 
Towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but the fool gets disgrace. In conclusion of this little section, Solomon gives a list of contrasts and warnings. Um, he warns uh, that the envious, or warns not to be envious of the violent. Although the ways of the violent and the devious person looks prosperous, they're an abomination to the Lord. But the man of righteousness is near to God. The Lord curses the house of the wicked. He turns his face against him, but God blesses the dwelling of the holy. God scorns the scornful, those who make, those who make others feel inadequate or unworthy or lesser than God will humble. But to the humble, God delights in them. He favors these people. The wise will be honored, but the fool, the one who leads others astray, will be disgraced. He will have the Lord to answer to, and the Lord will show him his arrogance and his ignorance. And this list shows kind of a contrast between two types of people. And it, like I said, it almost feels out of place. But what it, Solomon is doing here is he's giving a, a harsh, stern warning to his son. He's telling his son in this list of showing the evil man versus the good man and how they treat one another. The man who mistreats his neighbor, the man who is evil towards his neighbor, his, the man who does not seek to do good, he doesn't know the Lord. And, and the Lord doesn't know him. First John, John 4 says this, if anyone says, I love God and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For the... For he who does not love his brother for whom he has seen cannot love God for whom he is not seen. So Solomon is given this awesome contrast of like, hey, if you think you love God but you hate your brother, you're, you're deceiving yourself. It's impossible. Um, when Eric mentioned uh, the summer camp we went on, I was on that last summer camp trip Eric went on, and it was a great time. Uh, was, I thought Eric had a good time. I'm, I'm confused to hear he didn't. Um, but, but really, um, <clears throat> there's a pastor. He got up, and what he said became kind of a saying for our youth group. His catchphrase was, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. So let me re-say that because I know that's very confusing. Um, your talk talks, the way you speak to people and, and what you say, people hear. Your walk talks, what you do, your actions, how you treat people, that also says something. Your walk, the way you treat people, your actions, how you respond in situations, the way you serve, talks louder than what you say does. What Solomon is saying here is essentially words are cheap. Son, if you think that, that going to the temple and, and knowing all the right verses or whatever, if you think that is, that is knowing God, you're far from it. If you hate your neighbor, if you mistreat your brother, if, if you withhold good, don't know the Lord. <clears throat> and so the last point that Solomon is making here is your relationship with people reflects your relationship with God. And this is all great advice right? We, we hear these things. We, we hear the advice of seeking to do good. And, and who wouldn't want to live in that world, right? Live in a world where we all are servant-hearted and, and people serve us as if they're indebted to us and like we serve them. And like that sounds really nice. And it sounds really nice to live in a world where people aren't seeking to mistreat one another, not seeking to step on people's backs to advance in this world. But that's not the world we live in, is it? 
Sin has entered our world. Sin has polluted us. Sin affects each one of us in a way in which this is literally impossible for us. On our own, we cannot seek to serve as a debtor. On our own, we can't seek to withhold good. And, and, and maybe you can try a little bit here, a little bit there. But that's not a lifestyle. That's not something you can keep up. That's, that's not who you are. It's not without selfish gain or selfish ambition. And so we get to the third point and we recognize that we are far from God. Our, our, our actions, our relationship people with people reflects that we aren't that close to God at all. But in recognition of our inadequacies, we recognize our need for Christ even greater. We recognize that it is through the gospel. It is through coming to know Christ, entering into this new covenant with Christ, being filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit that we can embrace freedom. And the world would look at this and think, man, servanthood, that, that's not freedom, that's slavery. But we see it as, man, Christ has come and bought us and purchased us at a price. And whatever this world can offer us, whatever we have, whatever junk we own in this world, it's nothing. Give it away. I want to serve my time. It's not of my own. I want to give it away. That is freedom. To, to live in a way where we, we're not worried about advancing or people's view or having to step on one another or hurt one another or harm one another for our own personal gain, that is a freedom. Because we recognize in the eyes of God we are precious. We are children of the Creator. And so through the, light, I, the lens of the gospel, this, this passage takes a whole new meaning and becomes doable which is such a beautiful thing. And so now that we've, we've kind of looked at it as, as Solomon would have wrote it to his son and his son would have strived and, and tried his best, we now look at this through the lens of being empowered with the Holy Spirit. And I, I know I've, I've gone for a little while now. I have three application points for you and I'll be done, okay? Three application points, quick story, and I'm done. We'll be out of here within that hour and a half, you know? Um, no, totally kidding. So, so sorry. All right, application point number one, serve as a debtor. This first section takes on a whole new light when we recognize the cost that we are bought with. And we recognize that we were not merely saved for our own selfish gain, it, it, not just merely for our salvation, but we were saved for the glory of God. And one of the greatest ways we do this, one of the most impactful ways that we glorify God is, is or yeah, bring glory to God is serving others and telling others about him. That, that's another fun point of that first one. Part of that serving is now bringing the gospel in as we serve. And how can we look at the example that our Lord Christ gave us and, and not want to lay our lives down as well? Paul says, who, that being Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by, the taking, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. By the example of our Lord, we should be eager to look and bless those around us. We should be eager to give that cup of sugar. We should be eager to go jump off our co-worker's car. We should be eager to sit with that kid at lunch who like, we all know is a little weird, but like he needs a friend. We should be eager to get up early and do stuff for our spouses, our children, our parents. We should desire to serve as Christ served. Second application point, number one, being serve as a debtor. Number two, care as a friend. We should seek to care for all people as Christ first cared for us. That when we were enemies of God, 
that, that when we hated him, he loved us. He came in the form of man to die for us. That includes the person on your Facebook timeline that gets on your nerves. Or, or that brother or sister who, who annoys you and just knows how to prod you, that parent or that child who knows kind of where to dig the, dig the knife. Or the boss who, who you feel mistreats you. We should seek to care for these people. We should seek not to bring harm to them, not to slander them to others, not to gossip about them, but we should seek to care for these people. <clears throat> we should seek to live peaceably. Romans says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let us, as people of God, as born-again believers, take the weight of living peaceably with others. Let us bear the weight of seeking peace. Like I said previously, this doesn't mean laying down your values. This, this doesn't mean laying down the gospel. This doesn't mean giving up on, on the truths of the scripture but this means bringing to them as, as the best news they've ever heard. This means bringing the story of grace with graciousness, not with anger or, or malice. This is bringing the greatest love story ever told with love, which seems fitting, right? Seems fitting we would bring it in such a way. <clears throat> this does not call us to waver in what we believe not forsaking the truth of the gospel or the Bible or what it teaches, but displaying with our lives the love God has for all man. So, so first, we saw we are, to, we are called to serve as a debtor. Secondly, we're called to care as a friend. And thirdly, we're called to act as a representative. So, um, in ancient times, in, in the times of Christ and before and a little bit after, when a king would, would take over a land, he would uh, build up statues of himself in, in cities and on ports and on roads, and he would, he would build these huge statues, and it was a symbol to people who their king was. It showed the king's stature, it showed his, his muscles, it showed the power in his eyes, it showed the sword that he wielded, it showed who the king of that land was. And I ask you, Christians, what do your lives say about our God? Do your lives depict a God who, who loves us? Does it depict a God, yes, who is, who is concerned with justice, but is also concerned with mercy? It is a God who took on flesh, who, who literally took on this junk that we wear every day that gets bruised and cut and beat, took this to come and, and live in this kind of nasty world to die for us? Or does your God, or, or is the God you're depicting a, a God of wicked and, and malice and of selfishness and, and a scorner? And if so, why, why is that? Are you caught up in, in a, a sin of selfishness? Are you caught up in your own personal gain? Are you caught up in your own comfort that you're not willing to give up your time, your, your possessions, your, your popularity, your, your status or whatever to go and serve? Is there something you need to repent for? Or do you just enjoy putting other people down because it makes you feel smarter or bigger or, or wiser? Or lastly, are, are you maybe not changed by the Spirit? Maybe the reason that you 
aren't living peaceably, maybe the reason you're, you're not serving, maybe the reason that you, you have no desire to live uh, without causing harm is because you actually don't know the Lord. And, and there hasn't been a heart change. And, and can I tell you, without that, you're, you're not going to live like this. You're going to live under the weight of self-preservation. And if that is you or if you have questions about that, I, I would love to talk with you after the service and, and, and dive into that with you. <clears throat> Christ said that a tree will be known by the fruit that it bears. And he told his disciples that they would know who they were by the way they loved one another. How's the way we're loving depicting who we worship? So as the band comes back up, um, I, I want to tell a quick story, and I'm not going to read it just to save time and, and to provide a little bit of context. But if you want to read it later, it starts in Matthew 20, 29, and it's, um, it, it's Sunday before uh, Christ's crucifixion, right? And, and he's leaving Jericho on the road to Jerusalem, right? And, and if you know anything about this, a few days later, Christ gets crucified, and Christ, being God, is aware of this. And, and, and we can only imagine that, that Christ, in approaching Jerusalem, knowing that this is the last time he's going to journey anywhere, this is the last city he's going to go in before he's crucified, we can only imagine the weight that is coming on to Christ at this moment. And, and Christ isn't alone. He has, he has a pile of people with him. He has his disciples. He has a crowd, and, and they're all gathering around and they're like Jesus this Jesus that like asking them questions and like you can only imagine the weight that Jesus is carrying knowing that this in a couple of days he's going to be crucified the same people who later in the day will lay down palm branches and say Hosanna will be shouting crucify him and as he's walking on the road there there's two blind men and they holler out Lord son of David help us Lord Lord in the crowd, like, hey, be quiet. Don't, don't talk to him. Like, he's busy. He's got stuff going on. He, he, you know, we can only presume he looks a little stressed. And, and they shout all the louder, Lord, son of David, help us, help us. And Jesus, it, it, the Bible says Jesus stops and he looks at them and he says, what do you want from me? And they said, Lord, give us our sight. And the Bible responds, and Jesus took pity on them and gave, and they saw immediately. And this isn't a pity of like, oh, you know, this, this beggar, let me, you know, I'm, I'm so much better than them, let me just give them. But it's a pity of love, it's a pity of seeing someone in need, it's a pity of, of, of recognizing the pain and the hurt and the, and the struggle that they've dealt with. And he gives them their sight. And in the midst of just such a hectic time, Christ stops and does that for them, sees these people. I think this is the perfect example of, of what this proverb is teaching. It's, it's teaching, hey, seek to do good. Be intentional about it. Be looking. Be on the lookout. Listen. Be aware of what's happening around you. Seek not to harm. Jesus could have, could have cast them away, could have ignored them, could have, could have withheld good from them, but he took pity on them. He cared for them. And lastly, Christ being one with the Father blesses them. Now, obviously, we're not walking around giving people sight, but I, I want to encourage us today, as we leave here, let's take from the example that the Lord has given us, let, let's take from Jesus' example and seek to do good and love those around us.